Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, I legitimately had no idea what day it was when I just hit the record button a few seconds ago. It's Tuesday, everybody. It's Tuesday. Just in case you were as confused as I am, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today on Tuesday. Okay. Okay. I think I've adequately convinced myself that it's Tuesday. It's August the 25th. My child is uh, five months old. The baby is five months old today. A pretty good indicator of how long we've been in this state of being. I think as a family, we're probably still taking this uh, more seriously than most. And probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have a five-month-old flopping around over here. But happy five months to uh, my second child. And a happy over five months of COVID being a big thing in the United States to all of you. Uh, what are we talking about today? It's a regular day. Regular day. We'll break down the two games coming up tonight. Because with teams getting eliminated now, the number of games on each day is starting to dwindle. Uh, Utah going for the series-ending victory at, technically, at Denver that ball game is at I think 3:30 this afternoon Pacific time. I've lost track. So they've just they've wiped out the 10 a.m. and the 12:30 uh, or the 10:30 and the one o'clock game. So you just jump straight to the 3:30, which makes a lot of sense. You try to take out the earlier games, ones that are harder for people to watch, and you leave the later ones. Utah has been playing pretty darn well, and at the same time, Denver hasn't been guarding anything. Defensively, Denver's been terrible. Defensively, they've actually been uh, not that dissimilar from the Blazers, who haven't really been guarding anybody either. And that is one of the central tenets of playoff basketball. You have to be able to defend, or ultimately, you will get beaten. The closest teams recently to winning playoff... Well, forget series, because sometimes you'll they'll find their way through a series. The closest teams to a championship that weren't defending, were all LeBron-led teams when he had a bunch of old shooters around him in Cleveland and, and what have you, uh, and they weren't really guarding people. When he was on Miami, they were guarding people, make no mistake. And now in L.A., they're guarding people again. You have to have arguably the best player in, I don't know, what do you want to say, 30 years on your team to make it through the playoffs without playing some pretty su- substantial defense? And you're seeing what's happening to these teams right now. Denver is getting outgunned in a series where you look at the matchup on paper and you're like, oh, Denver offensively should be clobbering in this series. But you just, you give easy looks to even pretty good NBA players and they're going to stomp you. You give easy looks to guys like Donovan Mitchell, they're going to destroy you. 
Same story for Lakers-Blazers. But anyway, the line tonight, Utah by two and a half. Sounds like Gary Harris is questionable, and I think Denver could use him. Question, of course, becomes, you know, what what does he look like in this ballgame? Dude hasn't played in five months. Happy five months of <laughs> not playing to Gary Harris. We'll celebrate that as well. Oh, by the way, I'm Dan Vespers. Uh, this is a hoopball presentation. Fantasy NBA Today is brought to you by at Hoopball Fantasy. I am at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Please do, by the way, take a moment to drop a five-star review on the pod if you haven't already. There's still a couple of you that are trickling in here, even during this kind of weird low tide of podcast listenership. The, the era of the COVID, there's no fantasy happening right now. But thank you to those that have taken just a brief moment to, uh, to drop a five-star review on the pod. It is, it is much appreciated. Uh, I always notice it, and whoever of you guys are still tuning in just to, I don't know, hear my voice, normalcy, I very much appreciate that as well. So please do take a moment and uh, five-star review the pod. Um, back to this, this Utah-Denver game. First of all, Utah by 2.5, total of 220. These lines all courtesy of our buddies over at mybookie.ag. Partners in crime here at HoopBall. My bookie, if you use the promo code HoopBall, when you open up your brand new account, you can get a 100% deposit match in a baseball futures ticket. But really, we just want to make sure they know we sent you. So come aboard the my bookie floating yacht and play. Uh, dude, play, play Ira's hockey plays, Devin's baseball plays, and Troy's soccer plays. Those guys over at Hoopball Gaming are destroying those three sports right now. And it's amazing that they all have this... This expertise that's sort of uh, honed in. Ira also very good at live wagering. I know we've talked a lot about that on this podcast. Hoopball Gaming, again, is their Twitter handle. you got to check it out. They're crushing. Ira swept his hockey plays yesterday again. Again. It just, it, it, it never stops over there. So you look at this series, and the one thing that jumps out at you, of course, is that the last ball game, Denver lost to Utah by two in a game that had a total of 216 and a half. I say again, the total was set at 216 and a half and ended at 256. Utah shot 57.5%, Denver shot 49%. Normally, and this is important, normally... I would look at this line, which went up now. It's uh, adjusted from 216 up to 220. Normally, I would look at this line and say, well, that's a big jump upwards in a series that just went way over the total. So perhaps now there is some measure of value on the under. The problem I have with that is that to this point, Denver has not bothered to guard Utah at all. I know I keep harping on this point, but it's one of those things where there's a very old betting theory called the zigzag theory, where you basically fade whatever you saw happen in the previous game, assuming that adjustments will be made, motivational angles will come into play. It's First of all, it's a bunk theory. It doesn't work uh, unless the time is right. There, there are moments where you zag, and then there are moments where you don't. This, to me, is a series that has consistently been a moment you don't. Denver won in overtime on a total of 260 in the first game. The second game, the Jazz beat the Nuggets with a total of 229. The third game only went under because the Nuggets only scored 87 points. The Jazz in this series have scored 125, 124, 124, and 129 in the four games. That's absurd. 
So while I do normally want to look at the under in a situation like this, because you're you know you're dealing with a series of games where the expectation presumably was that the totals would be lower, that there might be some defense, some grinding happening here. The issue, of course, is that every single one of these games has gone over the total with the exception of the one where Denver put up 87. That doesn't feel like it's something that's going to happen again. The pace has led to an over in every one of these games. The lack of defense has led to an over in every one of these games. Do we think that Gary Harris coming back is really going to slow Utah down to a point where the the tempo adjusts by that much? Maybe. The answer is maybe. The problem is I don't I don't have a strong feel for the over either. I don't know that you know, maybe this is the one where Denver's like, oh, it would guard somebody. But so far, they haven't. And so I think if you're playing anything here, you're just going to ride the same stuff until Denver proves they're going to guard someone. Because I think Denver, uh, and it's crazy, too, that 256 was the last ballgame, and this number isn't higher. It's, it's begging for money on the over. And I just, you know, you just, all they need to do is split the money, split the pot, uh, so that the... The sports book keeps the vig, and you know it's a it's a public side to be sure. But to this point, we have not seen defense from Denver, and so until we do, I don't know how you can bank on defense from Denver. I start at the under in a ball game like this, but then I've basically talked myself out of it. So no real plays on that ball game pregame. You can get a feel for how it's going right out of the shoot. Look at the pace. First three, four, five minutes. Look at the pace. See how it's going. There's going to be those stretches in the second late third quarter or whatever, where they sort of get out and run a little bit and, and the pace tends to pick up. But look to see Denver in particular, how methodical they are on offense. Are they just getting out running and paying no heed to actually getting back? Or is this game going to have a little bit of a different feel to it? We'll know early. And the second game, Clippers favored by seven and a half points. Again, this over at mybookie.ag with Kristaps Porzingis ruled out for the ball game early. Porzingis right knee soreness is out some ten hours before the ball game. That's a really bad sign. Hopefully, he can get back later in this series. After Luca's insane shot on Sunday tied this series at two. This gives the Clippers a very large edge. They can focus everything they've got on Luca. It hasn't really mattered yet. And I maintain the same general philosophy with this ball game that I did uh, going into the last one, which is, yeah, you know, I, I was talking, I think it was to, uh, to Brewski on, on our Friday show, where I basically said, look, I think that Patrick Beverly is the key to the Clippers. And Brew was like, look, he's slowed down. He's not the same guy he was a couple years ago. And Brew's right. Brew is right. I shouldn't say it with it like a caveat. It, Brew is right. Patrick Beverly is not the same defender he was three, four years ago. However, what he does do for that Clippers team is cre- he creates a certain energy at, they call it the point of attack. It was actually why I was a tiny bit concerned about the Lakers defense going into the playoffs because as bad as Avery Bradley was at times this year, he was the guy they had at that point of attack. The guy dealing with the orchestrator on the other team, the guy making life difficult for the the ball handler, picking him up in the backcourt, making him work every second of every possession. It is a terrible grind to be an offensive player that is dealing with the defender at all moments. Think of it mentally. 
you're used to just walking the ball into the front court. Somebody's on you that whole time. You spend the whole game basically running protect-the-basketball drills. And the Clippers don't have that guy right now. And so as a result, they feel, right or wrong, the Clippers feel like they can sort of float their way through this series a little bit and win it on superior talent, which, frankly, they should be able to. But that's going to create competitive basketball games. So I'm basing my plays on this game on what happens with Patrick Beverly. He is considered doubtful for this game. That's the last report I saw. So if he gets upgraded today, we'll certainly adjust accordingly. Even without Porzingis, I still have a pretty good feeling about Dallas in this game. And and I know that's a big number, which is probably asking for Dallas money. Um, So maybe we get some other news before the ball game. Maybe we hear about Luka's ankle swelling up, whatever it happens to be. Maybe Paul George wakes up in this ballgame because he's been atrocious the last three. He's getting creamed by the media right now, and rightfully so. He has, um, I have a little bit of Paul George-related beef also. And I don't think it's that, I don't think I'm being weird by drawing a line between what Kawhi Leonard set up this offseason and what Paul George did this last offseason. It's not a sour grapes thing, man. I mean, look, like, everybody knows I'm a Laker fan. They were good this year. They were this number one seed in the West. I'm not... I'm not heartbroken they didn't get Kawhi. It would have been awesome, but they also would have run the league and almost would have been... Frankly, I don't know that I would have been as excited for the playoffs if it was that lopsided. The thing that bugged me about this offseason was that Paul George had signed a four-year extension with OKC only one year before, and it wasn't like they were bad. You know, it wasn't like Oklahoma City was a, a team that was giving up and he was a part of a rebuild or something like that. It was just like, oh, by the way, I don't really want to honor this massive contract I signed without interviewing with other teams. Remember, he signed with OKC without even meeting with other teams. And then it was just like, ooh, Kawhi called. Now trade me. I get it. I get it. I actually love player empowerment. I like the fact that Kawhi Leonard was attempting to build something with the Clippers or whatever team it turned out to be. He was trying to orchestrate taking a regular team and turning them into a championship team be with his free agency as his leverage. That's a great idea. That's player empowerment. He was a free agent. Do what you want, man. Call your buddies. But it really bugged me that Paul George made a commitment to Russell Westbrook. Screw it. I don't care about the team. I don't care about... I mean, that's not nice to say. I do care about the Thunder. I care about the Thunder. I care about the city. I care about all teams in all cities. But emotionally, I don't care that it was that particular team. I'm not attached to the Thunder. I don't care about them. I, they could be any team in the NBA. I just didn't like that that Paul George abandoned ship from a good team. I actually get it when these other guys, like, you know, what other examples? Even Paul George in Indiana made more sense to me because he was going to languish there. And he was like, all right, get me out of this place. They're not, they're not willing to spend the money to win. Yeah, okay, see, not willing to spend the money. That team was way over the luxury tax. They had Russell Westbrook signed for too much money. They had Steven Adams signed for too much money. They poured in the ducats, which, by the way, too little too late. They should have been doing that when James Harden, KD, and Russell Westbrook were all there together. But, you know, that's a story for another podcast. They had spent, they had shown their guys that they had every intention of spending whatever money they needed to to make a championship contender. Now, okay, Will they have would they have ever been one? Probably not. We've talked at ad nauseum on this show about how Russell Westbrook creates both a very high ceiling 
and also a very predictable, or sorry, a very high floor and a very predictable ceiling on the way his teams play just because of how he operates on a basketball court. And so maybe there was a little bit of that buyer's remorse on the Paul George side. But to me, it's a little crummy. That dude went and just blew up a top team in the Western Conference. Yeah, screw it. Three years left on my deal. Who cares? And OKC made the best of this situation. But I, I didn't, I, you know, the way, to me, that left a bad taste in my mouth. The way that most of these other things have not. It didn't bug me when Kawhi asked out of San Antonio because it did seem like they were not taking him seriously. They kind of mistreated him a little bit. I, got, I get it. They were a good team, but he was like, look, I don't feel trusted here. So send me somewhere else. Paul George in Indiana. Hey, they're not willing to spend money to win a championship. They're not going to bring in the guys that it takes to win. Send me somewhere else. Anthony Davis. This is a team that's, that's, they can't get the pieces around me and Drew Holiday. Send me somewhere else. We're a, we're a middling team at best. I actually don't care about any of those. To me, it felt like all of those players had a viable reason to say, look, it's time to move on. I gave it a fair shake. It didn't work. I need a new look. But Paul George on round two, second time he's asked out of a place, was, to me, a little bit suspect. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys disagree. I just, there was something, there was something gross about a dude signing a four-year extension on a team trying to make a championship push and then saying, you know what? Detonate this mother. Uncool. Uncool. So, I don't know. Maybe he wakes up. Uh, maybe not. Dude seems to have a, a mental thing going on in the playoffs right now. Total of 234 and a half. Uh, again, you can sort of look at some of these other games. Last one went is at 268 uh, in overtime, of course. The, the wild finish, Luka's three-pointer. Dallas 135, Clippers 133. Total of that game was 232. So this one is moving in the upwards direction. I think that this total is pretty close to spot on. They're going to be moving. Uh, if there's no Pat Beverly, I don't think there's going to be a, a ton of defense being played again. I don't see the Clippers just turning it on. You might see a little bit more uh, just because of the way the last ballgame went and how many points put up. I, I've got to think they've been discussing it at the very least. But to me, that last ballgame was not like an embarrassment. So there's there's not going to be a, a big impetus to change the way things are going, especially now that they're dealing with Luka and you know a band of misfits. No Kristaps. But without Pat Beverly, I don't think they have their motor. So I would slightly lean to Dallas, slightly lean to the over, but probably leaving that one alone until the actual in-game activity. Thank you once again to MyBookie.ag for their partnership in all of what we do here at HoopBall. Again, go to MyBookie.ag, sign up, and make your first deposit with promo code HoopBall. It's on the third page of Sign Up, a place you can put in where you heard about the show and the promo code. That's the spot you want to drop it in and get yourself that sweet uh, promo deal. And also, make us look fantastic with one of our favorite partners over here on the corporate partner side. What happened yesterday in the NBA? Milwaukee beat Orlando 121-106. Ballgame was actually really tight until early in the fourth quarter. Milwaukee went on, I believe it was a 20-3 run. I might be off by a point or two there and blew it open. Oklahoma City beat Houston 117-114. Shout out Dennis Schroeder. I was really suspect I was, I was, I didn't believe at all, actually, that OKC had the firepower to beat Houston again. And the only way they were going to do it, as I was watching this game, I, I was watching and I was thinking, look, the one place 
where everyone is going to have an advantage over the Houston Rockets because of their small ball lineup is that the Rockets have no rim protection. Because Houston's built a team not only of undersized everything. Well, that's not true. Undersized front court, oversized back court. They've built a team of like little pillars. They're columns, these guys. They're they're shorter than you'd expect and stout. They move their feet well, and they're like bricks. It's just P.J. Tucker's everywhere you look. Daniel House is relatively stout. He's not P.J. Tucker thick. Aaron Gordon is P.J. Tucker thick. Rob Covington is pretty thick. Not quite like the other guys and a little bit more agile. Jeff Green, similar build too. Just a bunch of guys that are, you know, all six foot eight. All can move their feet relatively well. All are a little bit stout and all can shoot the three. Well, until late in that ballgame, they could. So who the hell's protecting the rim? The answer is nobody. Rob Covington had two blocks. They were the only blocks Houston had yesterday. By the way, the Thunder didn't have any. So I guess we can't make a sweeping claim about height leading directly to blocks for this one particular ballgame. But as you looked at the Rockets, you know what they're going to do on defense. They're going to switch everything. They're going to switch everything. So the Thunder, who run a lot of pick and roll, were not going to have a particularly obvious attack point. Sure, you can try to get, I don't know. I mean, James Harden, who's fantastic with defensive stats, he's still not the best at keeping people in front of him. You can try to get a switch and get Harden on you. Maybe that's your, your angle there. But ultimately, Houston's going to try to keep the ball in front of them, force you away from the rim, and not give you any paths, right? So you're not going to have a, a pick and roll that's going to open up movement towards the bucket. You're going to have one where the defensive players just switch, and then you're looking at a different person, but you're still beyond the three-point line. The way the Thunder had a chance in this series is to be brilliant around the rim and get there as frequently as humanly possible. And when they did, Dennis Schroeder in particular was strikingly effective. He had 30 points on only 16 shots in that game yesterday. Chris Paul's actually been really good the entire series, but this has been the Schroeder comeback tour. Dennis Schroeder back from the birth of his child, and he has willed Oklahoma City to some of these late wins. So kudos to OKC and to Schroeder. They've figured out an attack point with Houston, and they're going to keep exploiting it. For Houston, I know it blows up everything that they're doing, but they might need to put some rim protection in. I don't think they're gonna, because this experiment is in too deep at this point, and we don't know what's going on with Russell Westbrook. He might end up having, if he ends up playing, that changes the way that Houston plays, particularly on the offensive side, but also uh, he's got the quickness to stay in front of somebody. OKC's okay, so just going to keep trying to get by their man one-on-one. Because if they do, ain't nobody back there to block the shot. And so that's what you're banking on in their next ballgame, whenever that would be tomorrow. Miami finished off Indiana. I thought Indiana would uh, would compete in this ballgame a little bit better. But even as you're watching it, you're just like, look, they're just the shots that Indiana is getting in this game aren't good ones. Their shots were hard. Everything was contested. The shot quality of the Pacers was worse than the shot quality of the Heat. Basically, from day one in this series until, well, day whatever it is, game four. Every game, Miami had better looks by a little bit, and over the course of 48 minutes, 
that team usually wins. Jimmy Butler left this ballgame with a shoulder injury. He came back, ended up having a very quiet 23 minutes. But as it turned out, they really didn't need him. Bam Adebayo was uh, the king of the court in this series. He just owned everything he touched. And even on a bad shooting night, uh, he just he made life so difficult for Indiana. Um, much as I love Miles Turner playing with no Demonis Sabonis, he had 22-14 and five blocks, Indiana kind of needs Sabonis. That would have been their slight advantage because suddenly now you can go big. Miles Turner doesn't have to be dealing with Adebayo the whole game. Uh, Sabonis can move bodies around a little bit. They have something going towards the rim, which they didn't have often in the series overall. And uh, just a tough just a tough series for Indiana. They needed Sabonis. They probably could have used Jeremy Lamb. Uh, Miami just outplayed them. And then finally, the Lakers and the Blazers in the nightcap. This one was ugly right from the outset. Lakers jumped out to a big lead. Portland continues to not play enough defense. Listen, you know, like the Lakers have two really good players on their team, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but Portland is is doing a miserable job of defending them. And this is the game... Uh, I talked to Ira about it on on Today in Sports Betting. I did a guest appearance on that podcast yesterday, and and we've mentioned it on this show. What we had seen in this Lakers-Blazers series prior to this ballgame was a game where the Lakers shot horrendously, a game where the Lakers shot relatively well, a game where the Lakers shot average, and now a game where they made shots. Portland's been almost the exact same in every ballgame. They've shot in the low 40s, High 30s to low 40s percents. Lakers have defended them very well. The only difference in this one is that Damian Lillard left with a knee injury when they were already down by 30 points. Uh, and Yusuf Nurkic actually showed some signs of life for the first time in this series. Otherwise, everything was carbon copy. Every game almost has been a carbon copy on that Blazers side. Once the Lakers have figured out how they want to defend them, Portland is sort of running into that same thing. And it's oddly reminiscent of the Portland series against New Orleans which Anthony Davis being one of the uh, parallels there, they have, Lakers have the tools to defend the Blazers' distant pick-and-roll game. Let's hope Dame is okay. His right knee didn't look good. He's getting an MRI. He had an MRI. It was inconclusive, which is a bad sign, and he's getting another one later today. I would be a real pisser. Um, my Lakers are likely going on to win this series anyway, but hopefully nothing here with Dame that would keep him out uh, at the start of next year, whenever the hell that turns out to be. But um, Lakers have imposed themselves now. Their size and strength just too much for the Blazers. Um, will Portland win a ball game again in this series? It's possible. But uh, again, with that, with the way the Lakers' defense is playing, and by the way, Anthony Davis left this game with back spasms, but I've got to believe he's playing in the next one. I'm pretty surprised if he wasn't, and uh, that's where it's at. It looks like the number one seeds have woken up now. So we'll keep today's podcast on the relatively short side. Want to give a quick shout out to our partners at manscaped.com as well. I was actually showing this advertisement to a friend of mine. Uh, my wife is also wearing the Manscaped t-shirt that they sent us as a night shirt. It's a little bit big for me, so that works out well for us. Uh, and you guys should check them out too. It's manscaped.com. The promo code is hoopball 20 to get 20% off and free shipping on whatever they've got over there. They've got lotions. They've got powders. They've got the Lawnmower 3.0. They've got the Weed Whacker. That's for nose and ear hair if you need to trim things up over there. They've got a blade. They've got boxers. It's really cool. Get your 20% off and your free shipping with promo code HOOPBALL20. Tell a man sent you. That way you do that, by the way, is by using the promo code 
and uh, get yourself some Manscaped swag. Once again, I want to put it out there that we are looking to expand our gambling division. If you'd like to join that madness, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. No games for a little bit today, uh, so you have time to check out the wonderful work of the guys over on the DFS swing. Those guys have been amazing. DFS Today is the name of that podcast. I want to make sure we're cross-promoting things here at HoopBall during this weird, weird year. 2020. Always up to no good. All right, have a great Tuesday, everybody. We'll talk at you tomorrow. Uh, at some point here, we'll start to dive a little bit into our uh, Resumption League draft board. Look at some of the results from that. I know we're a little post-facto on that thing, but you know what the hell else we got going on? Again, have a wonderful day. We'll talk at you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.